Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So the first passage is Matthew 11, and then we're going to go into Philippians. So at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble and harsh, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So I'm just going to pray before Steve comes to speak. Father God, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you that today is known as Palm Sunday, Lord, a chance where we get to rejoice and celebrate the authority and the humility of which Jesus came to earth, Lord. I pray um, as Steve comes to speak, Lord, give him the wisdom and the words, Lord, to explore <laughs> the calling that we have to Sabbath rest, Lord, further. Um, I just pray for us as we listen, that we'll listen well and take the applications to heart. Amen. 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 Uh, wonderful. Uh, just two things from the icebreaker. First of all, if this is your moment to sleep, God bless you. We're talking about Sabbath. You just take a nice, good, gentle rest. Pat, God bless you. I'm very happy for that. And secondly, Andrew, as a young mother, I understand what it's like to have no sleep. That was an interesting thing to say, Andrew. Uh, but uh, we, we, we sympathize with Ola nonetheless. Uh, great to be with you. Final uh, episode, if I can put it like that, final uh, talk in the four-part series in the book in the month of March, where we are thinking about Sabbath. We're tapping into an ancient Jewish principle to try and solve some of the modern problems of our culture today. Uh, issues around burnout, mental health, anxiety, uh, issues around boredom, stagnation, emotional fatigue. It's easy to oscillate, I think, between um, two states of restlessness. On the one hand, and you'll know if this is you, there's a sort of anxious activity that leaves you pent up. And on the other hand, you'll know this is you, there's a listless boredom that means you waste time and want nothing and desire nothing. Uh, We're restless. We struggle with boundaries, with disconnecting, with switching off. Our phones seem to notify us all the time, but the notifications keep buzzing, not just on our phones, but in our hearts and in our minds. We can live in a constant state of chatter and information overload, bombarded by images, texts, messages, many unsolicited and trivial. What's the result of all this? Our culture is tired. And even though we've had less to do 
and more time on our hands with lockdown, we haven't shaken the tiredness. In fact, for many, the tiredness has increased. So we've taken the month of March to go, can we learn to rest? And today we finish with the most famous lines, which we've already quoted a few times in our series from the lips of Jesus. And he says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus calls out to our tired culture and he calls out to you. Hear these words. And he says, if you're weary, if there's a burden in your life, come to me and know an easy and light way. So we might ask, Jesus, what is this alternative way to living that you want to teach us? And Jesus says, the way of humility rather than the way of pride. In other words, Jesus is saying the reason our culture and the reason you are so tired, are so anxious, are so restless, are so listless, is not because of anything that's going on out there, not even with the pandemic. It's what's going on in here and the issue of pride. So he says, come and learn my way of humility and you will find rest. So we're going to think about three things today. We're going to think about the heavy yoke of pride, the humble rest giver and his gentle and humble heart, and the easy yoke of humility. Now, before I go on, I want to recommend three brilliant books, all based on these verses in Matthew and a fourth. The first one is Humble Roots by Hannah Anderson. I know the women's group are doing this. Hannah uh, says in the introduction to her book, the goal of Humble Roots is to understand how pride manifests itself in anxiety and restlessness and how humility frees us from the cycle of stress, performance and competition. Another book which I've recommended to many people is called Gentle and Lowly. It, it kicks off with this verse in Matthew, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers uh, by Dane Ortland. Uh, a book I've already quoted based again on these verses in Matthew is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World by John Mark Comer. And a fourth book, not based on these verses, but the same principle of humility, which the Apostle Paul showed by Tim Keller, more a booklet. He could read it in an hour uh, based on 1 Corinthians 4, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, The Path to True Christian Joy. So just take a screenshot and do think about getting those books or at least one of them over the coming weeks. So the heavy yoke of pride. What is pride and why is it so heavy? In the earlier part of Matthew 11, Jesus denounces the towns where he performed his miracles and they didn't repent. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. Jesus pronounces woes on them and says they are going to face unbearable judgment. Why? Because they were too proud to acknowledge him and repent. They thought they were good enough. They were self-sufficient. They were self-reliant. They didn't want, they didn't need saving. They were too proud to repent, even though they had miracles of Jesus. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 25, which Grace read, that he said, well, it's the will and pleasure of our Father in heaven to hide his ways from the wise and learned, the self-sufficient proud of this world, but to reveal them to the little children, the humble and lowly of this world. So Jesus's kingdom and Jesus's rest comes to the humble, but is rejected 
Jesus's rest is rejected by the proud. There is no rest when you're proud. Why? Well, pride in essence is making yourself like God. That was the original sin of the devil and of Adam and Eve. They wanted to be God themselves. They didn't want God to be God. They wanted control. They wanted preeminence. Pride is to lift yourself up and to make you, yourself bigger than you are. Pride wants to make you the center of the universe. And therefore, it gives you an inflated view of yourself. Which means pride causes you to be deeply disturbed by another person's success. Why? Because for that moment, someone else is more important than you. Someone else is preeminent. To riff off G.K. Chesterton, perhaps the reason our life seems so small is because we've simply grown too big for it. So Hannah Anderson says this. So at its root, pride confuses our identity with God's and makes us think of ourselves as larger than we really are. But when we begin to think of ourselves this way, we expect other people to think of us like this too. We actually believe ourselves to be better than we are. So when normal everyday occurrences like scrolling through Facebook remind us that we aren't, someone else has a better life than you on Facebook, our ego takes a hit. Our ego is fragile because our ego is like a balloon that's overinflated. And anything that's overinflated, is a pin can deflate it. There's always imminent danger when you're overinflated. Here is the point. It is our need to maintain our overinflated sense of self that means we are so exhausted. That's pride. It's heavy. And there's three ways this exhaustion or this heaviness manifests itself. Firstly, and I've already mentioned it, or Hannah Anderson has, we compete with other people, we don't see them as, we, we always feel we're, we're threatened by others. We covet because we think we deserve what they have. We boast to remind ourselves how important we are. We fight to prove ourselves strong and more righteous. If we're not competing with other people, we're complaining. We become resentful. We don't like being anonymous when other people have the platform. We want to be known. We want to be the center of attention. We want to be appreciated. We want to be made the big deal. Why are they getting all the opportunities? We complain that no one understands us. We complain that our cross is much bigger than anyone else's cross. We actually believe we're, we are worthy of a, a better and different experience. And we are blind to the privileges we have. And so the exhausting game of comparison and competition just goes on. And that's why pride and low self-esteem are two sides of the same coin. When something that happens, when something happens that punctures your, sen your overinflated sense of self, when someone has more money or more success or they're more appreciated or they, they're better paid or they have a better job or they have a nicer house or they have the family you wanted or whatever it is about them that threatens you, our egos begin to deflate and it hurts, doesn't it? We talk about hurt feelings. It's not. It's really just hurt pride. We feel smaller, not because we are smaller than other people but because we had been thinking of ourselves, to quote Philippians 2, more highly than we ought. We have lifted ourselves up and the most basic law of physics demands that we go back down. 
And that is why, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this or seen it in others. I know for myself, I have. Sometimes when you, in a sense, reach the top or you grab the limelight or you receive some kind of success, instead of enjoying it and appreciate it and using it for good, you can just get anxious that you're going to lose it. You, you, someone else is going to come in and knock you off the top or take the limelight or get the success and someone's going to beat you. And so people talk about imposter syndrome. I'm going to get found out and what I, the success I have. It's just pride manifesting itself in a different way and we feel restless and exhausted so we compete we complain and thirdly we try to save the famous messiah complex pride leads to us to thinking that we're the savior that's going to solve everyone's problem and in fact if we could just run the world we'd do a better job than god if you find yourself on a mission to save everyone and everything around you Hannah Anderson says, are you confused by which problems require your attention because they all seem to need it? Do you quickly take on new responsibility because someone has to do it, but in the end you feel overwhelmed and regret you took it on in the first place? Do you feel underappreciated and easily slip into self-pity? Do you find yourself irritated by other people and struggling to forgive them when they fail? Do your friends and family rarely meet your expectations? Do you work hard, but it's never enough? Do you find yourself tempted to escape daily pressures through the abuse of food, alcohol, social media, or pharmaceuticals? Do you regularly and consistently lack peace? When the creature, that's you and me, position ourselves as the creator and savior, that's God. We get tired very quickly. Why? Because we're trying to do a job we were never meant to do. We're ill-equipped for it and we cannot carry the weight. But we puffed ourselves up and assumed that we can. That is the heavy yoke of pride. And our world is tired, anxious and restless, caught under its yoke. We're caught in this endless cycle of stress, performance, complaints, and competition. We definitely are, as Jesus said, weary and heavy laden. So let's hear his call and let's come to him. The humble rest giver and his gentle and humble heart. Do you know there's 89 chapters, I get this from Dane Ortland in his book, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus. 89 chapters in the gospels about Jesus. And there's only one place in Matthew 11, it is where Jesus says, do you know, do you want to know what my heart is like? There's only one place where Jesus ever says, do you know what's in my heart? What does it say? It says he's gentle and lowly or gentle and humble. What does it mean? Well, it means at least three things. Firstly, it means he's understanding. Jesus is the most understanding person in the whole universe. He has the greatest, you know, emotional intelligence. The picture most natural to him is not the pointed finger, but the open arms. He's understanding of your cross and your situation. He knows and he understands. Secondly, he's accessible. He's not intimidating and demanding. He's approachable. He's humble. He's lowly. There are no prerequisites for coming to him. There's no hoops to jump through. The bar of entry is low, low enough for a child to walk over. The rest he gives is a gift. It's not a transaction. You don't earn it. Jesus is tender. He's open. He's welcoming. He's accommodating. He's understanding. He's willing. So he's understanding. He's accessible. And thirdly, to have a gentle and lowly heart means to be compassionate. In other words, when we are at our worst, his heart is most drawn to us. His first impulse to sinners, prostitutes, lepers, and outcasts is to move towards them, not away from them. 
His heart fills with pity. His affections are stirred and full of compassion when he sees we're at our worst. It is our weakness that draws out the sympathy and compassion of Christ. He is a humble rescuer. And so what does Paul do when writing to the church in Philippi, which had some divisions and had two women in the church, Euodia and Syntyche, who were fighting? He had two women that were fighting. And he says, adopt the same attitude of Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's pride. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your interests, but to the interests of others. And Paul then gives them, doesn't he, the most marvellous poem ever written in the history of the world about the humility of Christ, how he gave up his status and his privilege. He made himself nothing. He became a man, a servant, and he demonstrated to the uttermost how gentle and how lowly his heart really was. He became obedient to death even death on a cross. Jesus was stripped of all self-sufficiency, of all self-reliance. He was lifted up, but only so we could mock him and thrust him down in shame and disgrace. Jesus became small, insignificant, anonymous. He was written off as good as dead, forgotten. Now, Hannah Anderson points something out I'd never seen. She says, when you look at Philippians chapter two, this passage about Jesus's humility, we often think we somehow have to achieve that level of humility. And of course, Paul is urging us to be humble towards one another as Jesus was humble. But humility is not something you achieve. You cannot earn humility. You cannot accomplish humility. Being humble is something you either are or you aren't. And if you're not, no amount of trying to be humble will ever make you humble. In fact, all your efforts of deflecting praise and trying to carry yourself lowly will actually just be forms of pride is inside. You know, you're working hard to be humble. So when Jesus calls us to learn his humility, he's not calling us to adopt humble posturing or master a new skill. He intend, he intends to fundamentally change us by humbling us. He intends to strip us of our pride that stops us knowing rest. How? How's he going to do it? What did Paul do? Paul said, look at the cross and understand yourself accurately in relation to Jesus on a cross and what he has done for you. Do you know what the cross does? Do you know what Easter, Good Friday does? It says none of us is good. None of us are glorious. None of us are worthy. None of us deserve a better experience. The humble rest giver experienced cosmic restlessness because of my inflated sense of self. The humble one took on the weight of God's anger because of my pride. The self-sufficient one became dependent and destitute because of my arrogance. How do we become humble, friends? At the foot of the cross, bowing in repentance and awe before our Saviour and his great sacrifice. So how does Paul end the poem? He says, one day, everyone's going to bow.
and every tongue is going to confess that there is someone who is preeminent in this world. There is someone that is the center of the universe. There is someone that deserves the highest place and it's not you and it's not me. It is the Lord Jesus who will be exalted and we'll all bow and worship him. So Hannah Anderson, and this, I just think it's marvelous insight, says suddenly we see where we fit into the narrative of Philippians 2, face down in the dust. We're not called to be Jesus, we're called to fall at his feet and worship him. And it is through this worship, through recognizing his rightful place, that we are finally humbled. She goes on to say, when we are consumed with God's glory, we forget to worry about our own. When our eyes are fixed on him as the source of all goodness and truth and beauty, we accept that we are not. When we are enamored by his worth and majesty, we can stop being so enamored with ourselves. And fascinatingly, when we seek God's glory, we are able to appreciate it in the people around us. Instead of seeing them as threats to our own glory, we'll see them as beautiful reflections of him. And suddenly, the world is wide enough. Suddenly, this world surely is wide enough to hold both thee and me. Instead of competing, we can care for each other. Instead of comparing, we can have compassion on each other. Instead of controlling each other, we can cultivate each other. That is what Paul wanted the Philippian church and these two women and the rest of the church to add some divisions in it to do. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to happen in Christ City Church too. So let's think a bit more as we accept that God is humbling us through the cross and showing us our true position in this world. How do we take on then and learn to adopt the easy yoke of humility? C.S. Lewis says this, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, they weren't willing. Are you? You see, the cross says you're proud. The cross confronts us as proud people and says the Son of God had to die for your pride. We are stripped of self-sufficiency. But as we, like Jesus, become humble and lowly, we start to experience strange blessings and beautiful lightness an unspeakable joy as we carry a new yoke of humility. And before we carry on, some of you have not been farmers of, in the previous centuries of our world. In fact, none of us have, I don't think. So what is a yoke for those of you that don't know? Uh, a yoke is this. It is a crossbar that went across the shoulders of two oxen as they, so they could drag the plow through the fields or pull a cart for harvesting. As you can imagine, it's a burdensome role for the oxen to have that yoke strapped to them. Question, why would Jesus call people who are already burdened to shoulder another burden? Well, the yoke was metaphorically used for the rabbi's way of teaching the Torah, the Old Testament law, and his interpretation of what it meant to be human. So it was the rabbi's way to help us shoulder the sometimes crippling nature of life, the weight of life, singleness, marriage, divorce, prayer, money, sex, conflict resolution, responding to the government. Everything was wrapped up in the, in the rabbi's Torah and that we, the apprentices, the disciples were to learn and adopt the yoke. But then Jesus has a paradox. He says, the yoke, which is heavy, clearly is light. 
it's sort of a contradiction. It's a light burden. What? It's a burden that's light. How, how do I have a, a, an easy yoke? Well, one scholar of Matthew puts it like this. Oops, no, that's what Hannah Anderson says. One scholar puts it like this. A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a bunk bed or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life. Would you listen to that? Jesus realizes the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life. A fresh way to bear the responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Do you love that? Jesus isn't offering escape from the burdens of life. He's offering you equipment to handle the burdens of life. Jesus means that obedience to the Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Jesus doesn't offer escape or a longer holiday or a bunk bed. He offers us something better, equipment, ways that we, his apprentices, can learn to carry the weight of our humanity with ease. An easy life is never what Jesus promises. An easy yoke is what he gives us. How? As we adopt his position of humility. So what are the freedoms of self-forgetfulness? What are the strange joys of humility? Well, let me give you a few. The first one is, when you're truly humble, you have nothing to fear, nothing to prove, and nothing to hide. Nothing to fear because you know God's in control, not you, and he's got you safe, so you can let go of control and stop fearing. You're humble and you can rest. Nothing to prove because you're a sinner saved by grace and you've seen how proud you are at the cross. You're not self-sufficient. You're not, re- you're not self-reliant. You're not that impressive. But that means you now don't have to defend yourself as any of those things. And you don't have to be competitor with anyone else. You can stop proving yourself. You can be humble and rest and nothing to hide even when we mess up and the ugliness of our sin and pride means we want to hide away in shame and stay away from the light the grace of jesus comes to us afresh we sense his gentle and humble heart full of compassion for us his wide open arms and we experience his forgiveness we don't have to hide because we can rest in his love and forgiveness friends the fruit of humility is that you have nothing to fear, nothing to prove, and nothing to hide. Can you see why it's easy and light and why you know rest in the soul? Secondly, another aspect of this is your joy is exponentially increased. As we are humbled at the cross and grow in humility through admitting our pride, as we empty ourselves, we suddenly find we are made alive by God in ways we never expected. We give up the clenched fist and we open our hands and we find that it's full. God is blessing us in ways we never expected. As we give up our lives, we gain them. As we grow downwards, we get lifted up. As Tim Keller says, the less we presume to act like kings, the more like kings we shall be. We forfeit life and we gain it and we discover a whole wealth of blessing as we give ourselves up. Thirdly, It means we can hold success and failure lightly. 
If God should choose to bless you with success, riches, fame, talents, beauty, a platform, a relationship, a family, anything, you'll be humble enough to receive it without needing it. And you won't grow proud because of it, nor fear losing it. You can hold your success and failure lightly now. You're humble. It doesn't threaten you. Often God cannot bless us as he would like to because it is not safe for him to do so. He has kept us low for a reason. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. But when a person is sincerely humble and never ventures to touch so much as a grain of the praise, there is scarcely any limit to what God will do for them. Humility makes us ready to be blessed by the God of all grace and fits us to deal efficiently with our fellow man. Fourthly and finally, and I wish I had a fifth in my Sabbath series because it's so important. The easy yoke of humility means we'd be people of justice and mercy. What do I mean? Pride makes us greedy. Greed makes us selfish. Selfishness makes us cruel. That is why we constantly compete with others and often rush to look after ourselves, not thinking of other people. Humility, on the other hand, makes us generous and makes us kind. And instead of thinking what we can get, we start to think about what we can give. So central to the Sabbath laws of the Old Testament was not just love of God, but love of neighbor, social justice, acts of mercy. The Sabbath was a time for equality. Everyone rested. There was no hierarchy. The Sabbath was a means to a just society for all. And if you know the year of Jubilee and the seventh, I mean, it's just all about a just society for all. Instead of efficiency, productivity, acquisition, progress, getting ahead and winning, those things dictating the values of our lives, loving God and loving our neighbor would start to dictate the values of our life. We'd have new metrics for success. And that all comes about through humility, preferring other, need, other people's needs above our own. The Sabbath is a day not just to care for yourself, though it is, but for the weak, the outcast, the foreigner, the needy, the poor, that they may be strengthened and refreshed too. It all comes as we carry the easy yoke of humility. There's nothing to fear, prove or hide. When you're really humbled at the cross, you experience joy exponentially. When you come to understand yourself aright, and who really should be the center of the universe and where you fit into the big scheme of things, you can hold success and failure lightly. And together, as we walk humbly with our God, we will be people of justice and mercy, looking out for those that need our help. The scripture repeatedly says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The Sabbath was a day for choosing the light and easy yoke of Jesus the yoke of humility, and its many, many blessings. Let me pause, take a moment for yourself, and then we'll pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your arms are always open. Even on the cross, your arms are open. You are always welcoming us. 
You're so compassionate. You're so accessible. You're so understanding. And even today, Lord, as we think about what it means that you had to die for us, proud sinners, full of arrogance and a self-inflated sense of self, you don't do that with a pointing finger. You do that to bring us so we can know how to carry this life better, how we can enjoy the rest that you offer, how we can experience the joy and the freedom of self-forgetfulness, how we can lose our life to gain our life, how we can know peace within our community and justice in our society. Lord, we have so much to learn and we just thank you that as we approach Easter, this Palm Sunday where you, the humble King, came into Jerusalem and everyone bowed and, and, and celebrated you coming. And a week later, they'd throw you up on a cross and kill you. But you're the humble King, Lord. And today we say again, we want to be your humble followers. Teach us this humble way and the freedom and the blessings that it can bring to our lives. For your glory. Amen.